Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, October 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the fight over abortion rights heats up with the Supreme Court battle imminent. Then, an update on COVID-19 vaccinations. And a look at diabetes in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban is headed to the Supreme Court this winter. The case stands to potentially overturn Roe v. Wade. It's a high-stakes situation, one that's already poured lighter fluid on the fiery debate over abortion rights in the South. On Saturday, abortion rights advocates affiliated with a number of local and national organizations rallied at Smith Wills Stadium in Jackson. Desiree Fraser was there. She spoke with Michelle Cologne, who's part of a group called Shiro. I'm here today because I'm an abortion freedom fighter. Abortion freedom is on its last leg. I do firmly believe that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And if that happens, it's going to leave the entire South without an abortion provider. And this goes beyond clinics. This means there will be no abortions whatsoever. No exception for rape, no exception for the life of the mother. People in Mississippi will have to travel to Illinois and Kansas and Florida for right now. And not only that, other states in the Midwest and up north, such as Indiana, Ohio, and uh, Pennsylvania, are also states that, will, that has trigger laws. And their trigger laws will go into effect, and they will be outlawing abortion as well. Exactly. But this particular quote-unquote ban, which all abortion bans are human rights violations, this particular uh, case is, a, is, a, is an exact and distinct attack against Roe. That is what the, state, the Attorney General has asked for, to overturn Roe. So they're not, they're not sugarcoating it. So this goes beyond the quote-unquote trigger law. This is to overturn Roe v. Wade and outlawing abortion. Yes. I'm involved with this because pride, uh, reproductive health, abortion rights, all of that is a reproductive justice issue. They are human rights issues. And the reproductive justice um, spectrum takes its, takes, its, takes its root in the human rights, Declaration of Human Rights. So that's why I'm here. And, I, and that's not the only reason why I'm here. That's one of the reasons why I'm here. I'm also here because queer people have abortions too. And if, you're t- if the government is going to tackle and try to um, outlaw abortions, they're going to outlaw other things. And so many other things are related to this. You have queer people of color, trans men and women of color, who are being killed every day in this country. You have trans men and women of color who are unable to vote or they're being, their vote is being obstructed because they don't have the necessary identification that matches their gender. So that's the reason why I'm out here. Anything that I did ask you that is important to share? 
Yes, abortion is not a bad word and it's not a bad thing. And people in Mississippi and beyond who've had abortions or contemplating abortions should not be made to feel uh, unworthy, unloved, to made to feel bad, and should not be ashamed or embarrassed. Every woman is different, and some women, I believe, yes, some women do have, some people do have, you know, do have difficulty in making that decision, but not all women. What do you hope happens? I mean, you're still out here, but you said Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. What's the next move? So, with the move, the moving now is, is that Shiro has been, has been, planning for things. And so we have things, we have been planning and we are working with communities throughout Mississippi. We started with women of color first and foremost because they are always overlooked or ignored when it comes to the abortion rights movement. We have been training people, uh, giving out Plan B. We're, tra- we're, we're talking about and educating them about self-managed abortions. And we're also in contact with other abortion providers in the other states as far as getting people there. And we're working with some of the local abortion funds as far as raising money for traveling and practical support to get people to their abortions. It's, it's with the pills. It's with the pills. And so you can get the pills, and as I'm pretty sure you know, uh, you can get the pills. They sell them in Mexico, and we're training people on how to use those and also just training them, you know, and, and talking to them about it when if they're getting it through the telemedicine. It is. The law states that you have to be performing a certain amount and report it. So we need to be clear that many um, upper middle, upper class, more affluent women are having abortions. They just don't, they're, they're afforded the luxury of having it done at their doctor's office. And as long as the doctor is doing like one or two or whatever the, whatever the criteria is, they don't have to report that. Thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Desiree. I appreciate you. That was Michelle Cologne of Shiro making an impassioned case for abortion rights in the state. But when it comes to abortion in Mississippi, there's always another side of the story. That's after the break. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. At the same time, pro-abortion rights activists rallied inside Smith Wills Stadium yesterday, or Saturday rather, a number of anti-abortion rights advocates gathered on the street outside. Kate Maloney was one of them. She's part of a group called the Campaign for Abortion-Free Cities. We're out here today um, to counter-protest the Women's March rally. Every year we try to provide a presence outside of um, Women's March rallies because usually they're just about abortion. And this year with the heartbeat bill and the Supreme Court case actually coming out of Jackson, Mississippi, uh, they kind of came out and they're like, we're solely marching, rallying, gathering for abortion rights, for reproductive justice, they call it. Um, And so we're out here to provide a pro-life presence. Um, Pro-life women aren't accepted in um, the Women's March. We're not seen. So it's hard to be a truly inclusive, you know, Women's March when you're excluding other women who um, disagree uh, with your point of view. Um, We're out here today to provide a presence for pre-born women who have a right to their own bodies. 
Uh, we believe that bodily autonomy begins in the womb, so uh, we just want to have a presence here to say that um, we see women who are struggling with unplanned pregnancies. We want to help them. We want to connect them with life-affirming, nonviolent pregnancy resource options. We see women who've had abortion experiences and who provide we can provide community and hope and healing. Um, and we're out here to educate on the goodness of human life and the fact that women don't need abortion to succeed. How long have you been out here? We've been out here for since about like 11:45. Uh, we're going to be out here until it's over. <laughs> We just want to have, again, we we're hoping for maybe some conversations. Um, again, just provide that pro-life presence that, you know, the pro-life generation is here. We are alive um, in Mississippi, and we're excited to be here, and we're excited to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. Why, as a young person, are you anti-abortion? Abortion is the active termination of another human life, either through suction, dismemberment, chemicals, induced heart attacks. So I'm definitely anti-abortion. Um, I'm, I am anti-abortion because um, I don't like lies. I don't like deception. And a lot of times, women are lied to with the abortion industry. They're kind of sold this, this false bill of rights that if you have an abortion, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a choice that you get to make, um, and it provides freedom. And a lot of times, it comes at a cost. And I've, I've known women, I've seen women who are, are suffering from, being, from having an abortion experience. And um, I'm also anti-discrimination and preborn human beings are being they're being stripped of their personhood based off their size their level of development their location their degree of dependency their circumstance and i believe in equality for all and that equality has to extend to our preborn brothers and sisters because they are humans regardless of their if they're preborn or born that doesn't change what they are which is human beings and i believe in those rights so i don't like deception i don't like discrimination and um, i want to see equality for all i want human beings to be treated with dignity and respect something we all deserve um, and that should be extended to those who again cannot advocate for themselves and i also believe in true help and true resources for women so many times I don't think women are asked why, what's your circumstance, what's going on, how can we truly serve you, how can we truly see you, and abortion's kind of promoted as this one-size-fits-all solution, and it's, it's really not because it, it harms the human person, and I think the human person deserves better. What can your organization do to help? Yeah, so actually, um, my title, the Campaign for Abortion-Free Cities Manager, this, uh, the Campaign for Abortion-Free Cities is a national initiative from Students for Life. We're in over 20 cities. We're a grassroots campaign where we go around door knocking in the local uh, communities. Where are you based out of? We're based out of Virginia, but we're spread out all across the states. We've got regional coordinators all across the states. We're, we're, we, are, we are a national organization. Um, and we actually are, we door knock locally in the Jackson community, educating the community about um, nonviolent life affirming pregnancy care options for women and families who are in need of them. And what can you do to help them? Yeah. You know, services. No, great. That's a great question. Yeah. So a lot of pregnancy help organizations um, provide material assistance. They'll provide you with a free ultrasound, free pregnancy tests, because a lot of other places will charge for that. Um, and they'll see you. They're, they're non-for-profit, so they don't, there's not a quota that they need to fill. They're not making money off of your visit. They're simply there to serve you. Um, they can connect you with, you know, parenting classes some of them connect you if you have a substance abuse addiction so they're really individual based and they want to see the individual succeed and so they serve them and meet them where they are um financially yeah they can they can plug you in financially um 
depends on the different places that you go. Every pregnancy help organization is a little different. Some of them provide free SDI, STD uh, testing and treatment. Again, that depends on the area, depends on where you go. We are hoping to plug women into those resources so that they can be served and that they can be seen and they can be helped. Anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share? We're excited to be here. You know, pro-life is pro-woman, and we believe in women, and we believe that they deserve better than abortion and that um, abortion should be overturned. So you're hoping that happens in December? Yes, we are ready for a post-Roe America. We're ready to meet people where they are. Um, women don't need abortion to succeed. They don't need it to supplement. There's so much help. There's federally qualified health care organizations. There's pregnancy health organizations. There's maternity homes. There's um, adoption agencies. We're ready to pour. We want to pour into places that want to pour into people and not profit off of them. Thank you, Erin. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you. That was Kate Maloney of the Campaign for Abortion-Free Cities. Coming up, COVID vaccine demographics in the state are changing quickly. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. COVID-19 cases are on the decline in Mississippi. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs spoke on the issue at a medical association meeting on Friday. So fortunately, we've seen an ongoing decline in our number of new cases, our hospitalizations. We lifted the statewide system of care plan this week. So hospitals, they don't have to go through centralized control for ICU transfers. And so that's really great news. You know, we're, we're moving along. We passed a milestone of over 1.5 million Mississippians have received at least one dose. So that's fantastic. We need to get all those folks across the finish line. We've learned that the health equity work in Mississippi has actually been astounding. We've seen that black Mississippians are vaccinated well above the national average for, for black Americans and that black Mississippians are vaccinated at a rate far higher than white Mississippians, which is with a bit of a surprise. That fact that black Mississippians are relatively more vaccinated than their white counterparts represents a seismic shift from the early days of vaccine rollout. In February of this year, fewer than 20 percent of all COVID vaccines in Mississippi went to black patients. Now that figure is nearly 40 percent. All told, about 44 percent of Mississippians are fully vaccinated. That's good for fifth worst in the nation, not the world's most inspiring statistics certainly, but it's nonetheless a marked increase from only a few months ago when the state was in dead last place. Coming up, the first installment of our series on diabetes in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Frank Han was a teenager when he found out he was diabetic. Yeah, I was uh, 17 years old. What did that mean at the age of 17? Did that change your life or, or did it limit what you could do as a high schooler? It was pretty dramatic, I guess, in my life. And yeah, they sure didn't know as much then as they know now. So at the time, it was, uh, you know, a, a restrictive diet of uh, like 2,500 calories a day and 
you know, you ate one bread, one fruit, one meat, and that kind of thing. I mean, this was 30 years ago. Uh, so yeah. that, and then, so you, you took a, an amount of insulin in the morning. And so you, you take that in the morning and you'd have to eat X amount of calories for breakfast. You have to have a snack at 10 a.m. Uh, so you had, back then you had to convince the school and the teacher to let you eat some crackers at 10 a.m. <laughs> uh, kind, kind of thing, you know. Uh, and then you had to eat so much at lunch and then another snack at like of crackers at two and then you know the uh, whatever for your your dinner that included your your meat fruit and bread kind of thing and back then it was you know don't drink cokes and you know drink diet coke and don't eat cake and a bunch of sweets and those kinds of things and and, and back then they had you know, a few sugar-free candies that you could eat and, as a replacement for sweets, but uh, those had, the artificial sweetener and those candies back then would, would give you pretty bad diarrhea. So, uh, so yeah. it, it did affect your life as a teenager. It really did affect your life. It sounds like. Yeah, it totally affects like how how you can eat. And you know, where I was running around, riding my skateboard with my friends, we'd stop at McDonald's and get some some food or whatever, like. I couldn't just eat a hamburger and French fries without trying to figure out uh, what was going on. But I mean, I spent uh, the first 20 years of being a diabetic, just uh, taking a shot in the morning, taking a shot at night, testing my blood sugar every once in a while and hoping for the best. Frank is one of a disproportionately high number of Mississippians to have diabetes. Rates of the disease in Mississippi are third highest of any state in the nation, according to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Dr. Stephen Farrow is an endocrinologist who leads the National Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute in Biloxi. Five in 10 Mississippians have diabetes or the undiagnosed prediabetes. Four in 10 Mississippians have obesity but one in five Mississippi children have obesity, and this is one of the highest levels in the nation. We are seeing more and more of these children with these high obesity levels or high body weight levels presenting with uh, diabetes as well. So that had been very unusual in the past, but it's becoming much more common. Those familiar with the disease know that there are two types of diabetes. They're characterized simply enough as type 1 and type 2. Type 1 diabetes is the absence of insulin. Your body is unable to make insulin. Type 2 diabetes, your body makes insulin, but it's not enough. For various reasons, the insulin your body makes does not control your blood sugar, where in type 1, you don't have any insulin at all. Type 1 usually affects younger individuals, children. Type 2 generally affects older people and is frequently associated with significant overweight or obesity. Type 2 diabetes is the more prevalent type in Mississippi and the fastest growing. Frank Henn, however, is a type 1. As medicine understands it, he was born with the inevitability that he'd suffer from the disease. My pancreas decided to quit making insulin. Yeah. Is, uh, and it's, it's hereditary. I've got, on my dad's side of my family, I mean, it's, it goes pretty deep. And then my mom was adopted, so we don't know. But she died early of health problems, too. So I feel, and my doctors feel, that the majority of my health problems are hereditary. And you, there's with type one, I mean, there's nothing you can do. Your body quits making insulin. You have to give yourself insulin. Uh, I've always been back when I was 17, I rode my skateboard seven days a week. 
Uh, I was on swim team, completely active. I've never been unhealthy or overweight or sedentary, even today. Uh, I still ride a skateboard, you know. I've never been the cliche while you're diabetic stuff, you know. It's all those bad jokes just haven't really applied to probably most type ones <laughs> and probably most type twos, really. So I want to go back. What is more dangerous for you, having a high blood sugar reading or low blood sugar? So both are dangerous. Uh, low blood sugars will cause you to crash your car. Uh, low blood sugars will cause you to uh, go into seizures wherever you're at and eventually leading to death. High blood sugars will make you feel really bad for a really long time. Uh, they'll cause mood swings, body aches frequent urination, extreme thirst, those kinds of things will kill you over the period of X amount of time. If your blood sugar goes low in the middle of the night, you might not make it till the morning if it's not treated. So to me, low blood sugars are more dangerous. Mm-hmm. I've, I've wrecked the car from having a low blood sugar. I've seizured out in a restaurant, knocking out the coffee station. Uh, I've seizured out in another restaurant, like just not getting breakfast fast enough after taking my insulin, you know, those kinds of things. One misstep in your planning uh, or one unexpected turn is kind of what threw, threw me into those, you know, and it's, you know, nobody can, uh, can plan for what's about to happen to you. And if, especially, <laughs> you know? especially if you're alone and you have a seizure, I mean, you're in a very Co- bad place. Very, very bad. Thankfully, I was with I was with people, you know, the times I, it's happened to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, I lived alone for years, you know, and it, you, if you go low in the middle of the night, you, nobody's there to, you know, hopefully your dog will come dump some apple juice in your mouth, you know, <laughs> it's a, about the best you, you could ask for, you know, it, and it's, you account for those in your life. You adapt, with diabetes, you adapt to those things to survive, right? And, you know, so hopefully it works. A lot of times it does. Sometimes it doesn't, you know. Our series on diabetes in Mississippi continues on tomorrow's show. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.